having a conversation about what does it look like because personally what your project really wants to do is, is solve a problem that is important to everybody you know um, poverty uh, affects everything right it affects our nation it affects the world and so it'd just be great to kind of have a conversation um, about what it is that you believe in and we can kind of have some more dialogue about that so yeah I, I like it man I'm looking forward to it yeah very cool So uh, I'm not sure if you see it up, Daryl, but if you go to our Facebook page or to the to the YouTube page, you can actually see the link. So if you feel like sharing that out to your groups, to your people, that'd be cool. Just if they want to be able to be part of the conversation, you can go ahead and do that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I sent out you guys' uh, link tree on most of them already, so people should have those. Perfect, uh, perfect. Oh, and then Daryl, if you're on your phone for the Zoom call, could you turn your phone sideways for me? Like, okay. awesome. Thank you. And I'll, I'll end up holding it when it's time, so if you can have a better angle. Perfect. <laughs> Jamar, are you watching the game this weekend? The Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, are you are you like a hardcore NFL guy? Hey, you, you can't tell. I mean, I know you're a Cowboys fan. They're in the NFL. They are, but like me, no, I'm a Vikings fan. But no, no, I mean, I am. Dude, if you're from, if you're from, Dallas, yeah. And this is a true story. Most young boys, especially in my the year I was born. You're born. I mean, they gave you that picture, that baby picture you take. Yeah. Boys have a football game. Oh, for real? Yeah. Yeah. So you got a baby picture holding a football, dog? That's so funny. I'm be a Cowboys fan and a Democrat. Okay. Since the day you were born. <laughs> yeah. So I just like yes, I'm so excited about. It. Super Bowl because I think the Bengals are gonna win. Bengals never won a Super Bowl, right? It'll be the first time. Is it their first time going to a Super Bowl? No, they've been um two times before. Okay. Chris Collinsworth, he was a Bengal <laughs> oh, really? wide receiver. A, good, a pretty really good one too, by the way. And uh he uh so he went uh Boomer Siason. I know you remember Boomer. Oh yeah. Okay. So I mean I I I, I know the name. Well last the time voice. he went to the Super Bowl. He was their quarterback. Word. Yeah, he was their quarterback. So. I've, I've never heard so much Bengals history. I think it was. 1988. 1988? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's 1988. What was that, Daryl? You said you never heard so much Bengals history? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I mean, just, just NFL I mean, history, period. Like, you want to hear some time. Cowboy yeah. history, too? I'm... Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, like, I I'm, a, I'm a Vikings fan, but I'm really not a fan of the NFL. So yeah, you're gonna start dropping Corey Dillon and whatnot soon. This is uh <laughs> oh, the one you can't got your booster seat. I got my booster seat. I needed my damn booster seat, okay? <laughs> damn it. Is this your water? That would be yours. That's why I gave it to you. Be yours.
Welcome to Black Republican, Black Democrat. Tonight, I'm going to be just Jamar. And I'm A.K. Kamar. Welcome, welcome. Well, welcome to the show, just A.K. Kamar. <laughs> how's your, how's your uh, week been, man, since last show? You know, God is good, you know, and so all the time. Uh, word, all the time, all for the real, right? And um, so I'm always blessed, you know, to, to um, wake up and, you know, have, uh, have a healthy, pretty healthy family. And uh, I won't complain about my damn bills and all that, you know. Yeah, but, you know, um, I'm blessed, you know. I'm, I'm blessed. And so I woke up last Wednesday. I woke up this Wednesday. Amen. That's, that's all you can ask for, right? That's all you can ask for. I, I can ask for a million dollars, but you know, I, I've I've never uh, asked you before. It's just never been a kind of a topic for our conversation. But are you a guy that goes out there in the cold and marches? Do what? To who? Do you go out and march in the cold, like protests and all that? Is it cold in March? Did you say? <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. So, if it's warm, then you'll go out there. You'll be out in the streets. You know, I never actually been a um, much of a protester. No, I never have. But you know, I do protesting on. You know, I choose my platforms that I protest from. Yeah. Um, I've never been a marcher, especially now since I've had ACL, MCL uh, um, surgery. I know it's been a year, but I'm still walking with a shorty to pimp lip, and um, I, I I don't I don't I no no. I don't want to have a, a a a diesel truck come running into the crowd because he uh, forgot to get on the on ramp the right way, you know, some crap like that. No, I, no, I'm I, I, you know, TV, social media, different avenues of uh, of uh, voicing your belief. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I you know, obviously everything that's going on, the tragic killing of Amir Locke, which we we didn't even talk about the last show. Honestly. It hadn't happened. No, it had. No, it had. Was that? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it had just Last happened. Wednesday? No, I think that. Yeah, I think so. If it had, you know yeah. what? I think it happened last Wednesday morning, though. Something I think like we, that. I, maybe you're right. I, we didn't neglect to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, but we, we didn't talk about it. Absolutely. But, you know, obviously, being in Minneapolis, being ground zero, um, you know, people have been out even early today. I saw that they were holding a few different rallies throughout the day. And that's, you know, something that you and I, we actually talked about, right? I'm a legal gun owner. You are. Right? And and I conceal carry and I sleep every night. My my gun is on my nightstand, okay? I'm sleeping on I'm edge of my bed. Here's my pistol. I have the magazine in. I have a round in the chamber and I do not have my safety on. Right? That's how I sleep. And so after knowing that what ended up killing Amir Locke, right, with the officer, but it was a no-knock warrant, no-knock raid that was being served. And he was not actually named in the warrant. No. And to see what happened, you and I agreed that this this is an issue that we both feel strongly needs to end these no knock raids and warrants. And this last week, man, it's it's been crazy because MPD messed this up. The interim mm. chief messed it up. Mayor Fry messed it up. Yeah. You know, all, all these all these actors, you know, um, that have direct power are all saying, oh, a, a initially it was this. And then now it's coming out that it's that. And so, you know, that's what people are out there for. I'm not just like you. I'm not a I'm not a get out in the streets protest guy. I just never it's never been my thing, even for like Republican and conservative causes. You know, it's just never. I never went to I've been to a couple of rallies to just to like go there in support of whatever. But I ain't marching through the streets. It's just not me. Like I'll no. show up, listen to some speaks, you know, some speech uh, speakers and, and speeches and then bounce out. But yeah, man, it's it's been a wild week, and there's still a lot of information to come out. Um, but yeah, it's it's been pretty wild here in Minneapolis, man. Uh, uh, Tev, can you um, find a picture of uh, Amir Locke, please? Because uh, if you don't mind, uh, AK, I would like to um, dedicate tonight's show to uh, Amir Locke and his family, man. Um, you're not a a, you're a, a parent yet. Um, I am. I'm a father of a 19-year-old boy um, that's probably about the same size as Amir. Um, he's obviously not old enough to uh, possess a, a, a gun. But w when things like that happen, AK, I'm always, uh, it always it bothers the hell out of me, bro, just to be keep it real, you know? Yeah. Um, I've had a gun pulled on me from officers. And it's incredibly scary looking down the barrel of their guns 
when you don't know if that idiot will shoot you or not, right? You don't know that cop, especially if a cop has been uh, physical with you and, and, and harassing you. you. You you just never know. And it always seems that they can come up with some type of justification for killing some young brother, right? Yeah. Um, admit, now, the, 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 the reason, one of the reasons I feel the interim chief, Amelia Huffman, got it wrong is because... They tried to make it as if this young man who was uh, asleep and as the way his parents describe, asleep extremely hard, sleeps very hard. At 630 in the morning with his head covered, you enter his home without knocking or doing anything. And then upon entering, you start yelling, uh, police, police, police. But by then you're over his head. He attempts to get up. What pisses me off is the freeze frames that they show from the one uh, police officer's cam that they claim. I think that I'm not, they don't even show the shooter's uh, uh, body cam just from another officer where they try to make it like Amir was trying to raise his gun and point it at them, which is what the narrative they gave that his, the gun was pointed at them. Mm -hmm. Well, you can see, thanks to you guys' freeze frame, that his finger was not on the trigger. Right. It was just placed like you're trained. Right. The, us and them, mm -hmm. right? I don't even think the young. I mean, you just said that, bro. I mean, I, and so I, I. What would you do? What's your first move if you hear some intrusion? You don't know if, police, if yeah, you're why, sleeping hard. So that's the thing. That's why the pistol is right next to my bed, because if I was suddenly startled awake, that's literally what my motion would be. I wouldn't put my finger in the actual trigger guard until I was ready to kill or destroy whatever is in front of me. But I for sure am grabbing the weapon because that's why it's there. And that's the thing, you know. Um, and he I, was I a was, legal gun owner. He was. He had a permit to carry. And that's the thing. The Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, they came out and they denounced this right away. And I was, I was actually glad to see it. And on this issue, yes, there are still going to be plenty of people that say, you know, shouldn't have been there, shouldn't have associated with this person, right, because they, they arrested his cousin. Um, and, you know, when you kind of look into the details, there, I guess there was three different no, uh, warrants that were served. I don't know how many of them were no-knock or whatever, but the point is is that, you know, you'll you'll have that aspect to it. But in this case, you know, I'm the guy, right? I'm this. I'm the guy that will sit here and I'll, I'll analyze every case. So I'm not the person to pull yes, the race card. That's, that's how I am. Yes, Even you much are. to your chagrin. You plucks my nerves with right? that. Yes. And I will say this, this information leads to this. And in this case, I did the same exact thing. I looked at the information and I said that this was wrong. And so, you know, I, I'm glad to see that this is an issue that there are more Republicans and conservatives, especially more libertarian folks that are coming out saying, like, this is just another example. I mean, you have Thomas Massey, right, um, senator from uh, or a congressman from Tennessee. Right. You have Rand Paul that have called for ending no knock raids, uh, you know, senator. And there might be a million things as a Democrat that you hate these you know, these Republicans for or dislike them. But on this one issue, I think this is something. So hopefully something can happen, something can move forward. Um, and again, you know, prayer to Amir Locke's family and to his friends um, as they've have had to deal with this tragedy and, and everything that's kind of coming up with it. And that hopefully there's going to be real policy change and, and things that go on forward past this point. Well, not only that, there needs to be uh, some charges brought against these officers. This that was total negligence. Um, See, I I so, disagree because to me it's, it's so. At what point? When did they? When did they the fear? Here, here, here we go, because at what point did they fear for their lives when they upon entering this place? You never even. First of all, what kills me about officers is when they fear for their life. That's again. Those are those stop resisting. Fear for their life. Those are the two main um, words and sentences that they use to. Get, to get justified and not get charged. But I hope that uh, Keith and others are, and Freeman are smarter than that. What, at what point did you fear for your life? This guy had a cover over his head the whole time. You never seen his face before you filled his body with three bullets. You never seen his face. Yeah. So at what point did he fear? I mean, that's just, that, just being reasonable. I, I understand being a cop. Believe me, with the work I've done, I've worked with them. Uh, uh, used to talk to one. Uh, uh, one. She was pretty hot too. Um, when did you fear for their life? Yeah. Upon entering this boy's crib, and you seen that he raised the gun. He, he, first of all, he, he, I, he didn't even get a chance to raise the gun. As you said, he slept with the gun. You sleep with your. You 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 almost sleep with your gun because it's next to you. Mm -hmm. 
That's pretty rational. That's pretty reasonable to, th to think. Now, as officers who are coming in at a rate, now, as we can see, and, believe, and, 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 and if anyone's ever seen this gash on the side of my head, that came from a no-knock warrant. Yeah. No-knock warrant. Yeah. Knocked me out. It was 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.35 o'clock in the morning when they raided our They illegally raided our home. They, were, they had a warrant for the place downstairs and came upstairs. I'm sleeping on the couch because I'm in the doghouse. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm in the doghouse, so I'm sleeping on the couch in the living room. And we had a long hallway. And I, I heard him coming down the hallway because it sounded like a, um, uh, a stampede, right? And when I lift my head, I could see these dudes in riot gear. I'm like, I lay back down because I knew I was dreaming. I really thought I was dreaming. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is this? You know, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So I laid down this time on my left side. So when they came into the living room or, or of living room and peered over the couch, they said, oh, he's pretending to be asleep. And I opened my eye and looked up, and I could see the one cop with a face shield on, and then the other cop all of a sudden, boom, hit me with the gun. Mm. When I came to, it was daylight, sun bright and shine. It was in summertime, and they were wrapping my head to take me downstairs to the ambulance that was awaiting to take me to HCMC. So I have been in a no-knock warrant. I probably, if I would have been in mirror lock, would probably you wouldn't know me. Yeah, because I probably would have been dead too. I, I I can't even remember how many officers it was. I know it was at least five. Yeah. Right. So I say that point to say this: they went into Amir's home uh, with riot gear on. So you fear for your life, and it's, they still haven't yet said the evidence that they uh, were looking for. Um, but they did say that they retrieved something out of the building. Bro, it's negligence because the warrant didn't have the apartment number. The warrant didn't have Amir's lock name on it. The warrant didn't have a description of Amir lock. So how you illegally enter these people's home, because that's what it is now, because you didn't have a warrant for that. You illegally entered these folks' home. You didn't announce yourself. And you killed a civilian that was on the couch sleeping. And when he was awakened by a start of police officers, you shot him dead. Yeah, so... Again, my, my issue is knowing what the facts are and then there's unknowns. Um, I, I again, I'm, I'm typically going to side that it was a bad policy and given the circumstances of, of what the information that is known, a lot of things that you talked about um, are speculative, right? Because we don't know 100% what exactly did the warrant say, right? Because that hasn't no. been released. And they show you see they they did release the front copy of the yeah, yeah, no, of the and, warrant, and, that, and on the front copy, that's the part that has right. the address has to have the address filled in, right. and it did not. So, what I what I read today, and, and again, I don't want to get too much off on a tangent, um, but I just want to say my piece is that I think that just like I've said before in other trials, other cases, if there's charges that are brought, I'm always willing to hear the evidence, right? And I'm always willing to accept the outcome of what a jury ends up saying, whether that's a grand jury for indictment or whether that's a jury during a trial. Um, but I tend to always side with law enforcement for two reasons. Number one, I believe it's an honorable profession. Oh, Lord. I do. Because Please. it requires more than the average, like if you're an average person, you want to go work at some job. Most of the time, there's not a whole high, you know, there's not a level of skill or mental fitness that has to take place. So that's number one. But again, my issue is the policy. The policy is a bad policy that needs to end and, and beyond that. Now, um, for those of you that have tuned in, appreciate you being such loyal supporters. If you already haven't hit the like button or the share button, please do that. Um, Jamar and I were talking and we actually have a, an opening for a sponsor. So if you got a business, I don't care what the business is. If, if you clean cars, if you sell insurance, if you're a real estate, if you got a, a shop somewhere, you sell a product, please send me an email, uh, blackrepblackdem at gmail.com, blackrepblackdem at gmail.com. And we'll connect with you, figure out kind of uh, what that sponsor package would look like. But we do have an opening. We have very competitive rates, so please do that. If you haven't hit the link tree to connect with us on all of our other social, please do that. The address is linktree forward slash BRBD, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E forward slash BRBD. You can connect with our 
TikTok, which we I put a video out if you haven't looked at it. That's going viral. It's got Why like are you always bragging about your videos? Two hundred thirty thousand oh, views on a new video that I just put out. Okay. Um, we're trying to get ten thousand followers. You can also visit our Patreon, so you can become a subscriber, support our show, support what it is that that we do. If you like the conversations that we have, the topics that we have from from both perspectives, not just one size. Um, one size fits all type of show. And then also you'll be able to connect with us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube. And even we got a rumble account. So if you're anti YouTube and you want to do rumble, go ahead and, and jump over there. And then most importantly, you can connect to listen to our podcast. So maybe you only listen to the show via podcast. We appreciate that support. So please do that. And, and tonight our guest, uh, I was actually talking about, you know, when talking about TikTok, my younger brother, he sent me a TikTok video, and and um, he constantly is always sending me content on TikTok. You know, interesting content uh, subjects because he supports what we do, and he thinks this person might be interesting or this concept might might be interesting. And I watched this video that was called "End Poverty, Make Trillions," and I you know watched a bunch of the TikTok videos, and I was like, this is really cool. It's this concept, this idea that you can actually put into practice actual policy solutions that kind of go through the literal nuts and bolts of how would you pay to do something like this. And so I reached out to um, the gentleman that, you know, is the founder of End Poverty Make Trillions, and he reached back and said, yeah, I'd love to be on the show. So we would like to bring on Daryl Finkton. He is, um, you know, kind of the genius behind this entire plan to end poverty and make trillions. So thank you and welcome to the show, Daryl. How you guys doing tonight? Good. What's up, bro? How are you? Doing all right, man. Doing I'm, all right. I'm good, man. I'm blessed. I'm glad to be chatting with you guys. Uh, I, I really like this model. I really appreciate having people have real conversations from different different points of views and still walking away friends. We need more of that. Absolutely, especially in this uh, society we live in now, right now, right? So, you know, Daryl, I kind of read a little bit about your background, but I think it'd be great for, you know, our, our audience kind of hear, you know, what, what made you, one, kind of go down this path? Because I know that you didn't come, you know, you, you weren't in the nonprofit world, right? You, you graduated from a, a very prestigious school and you were working in finance, correct? And you kind of made this different transition. So kind of tell us a little bit about what made you really have a passion for, ending poverty uh, unfortunately my story isn't all that different at least in the beginning than most black americans is that i grew up in the hood poor um, and everybody around me was black or or, or brown um, and, and didn't have any money um, i was fortunate that my mom ultimately moved us to a school district where it's a much better place uh, we lived in the poor part of that district and i was able to get into ap honors classes and the rest from there was kind of history ended up going to Harvard, uh, graduated from there, then went on to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, um, and was was throughout this entire time period working on things that I thought were important to be able to bring back to my community. But as I kept getting more and more work experience, it just became clear that it's it's about the money, you know? And I was originally in healthcare, but I kept getting closer and closer to finance to just try to understand, like, how does this system really work? And I started doing venture capital. I shifted over and started working then uh, and, and launched a hedge fund. And so with those two experiences, I really got a chance to wrap my head around and understand just like how these systems fundamentally work. And you're then faced with a crossroads, right? It's like, well, do I stay here and play this game and, and try to get to the top of a corrupt system, you know, or do I try to take this information that I now have and figure out how to bring up my people, you know, and, and to me, it wasn't that hard of a choice. And so I just decided to take the knowledge and information that I've learned over the years and try to put that together as a concrete solution so that we can figure out how to stop having everybody that looks like us live in absolute squalor. So, which is great. And I salute you for that. Uh, how does it work, though? I mean, it does, you know, any average Joe that lives in the hood, you know, I mean, of course, we aspire to, you know, not live in the hood or have a big house, live the American dream. But, you know, let's keep it real. Most of the time it takes athleticism to get us out of the hood or selling dope to get us out of the hood. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't have the generational wealth through a, a nice home or monies that was left through our family. So. How does our average person um, t take what you've learned and put it to work? So what I do is I propose something called the Seed Money Act. And 
it doesn't go by any racial lines. It's aimed to attack poverty at the core, right? And so what it does is it would guarantee that every American household would get a grant equal to the federal poverty guideline, the poverty line. And you split it up like a paycheck, so you get two a month so that it's not overwhelming and not hitting you all at once. But by definition, if every single household is getting this check that's equal to the poverty line, then no one's living in poverty. But if you did it that way and just left it like that, that cost about $2.3 trillion, and that's never going to get passed. So what I do is I combine it with something called a, a negative tax, which basically just means that the minute you start working, you start paying that grant back. And then once you get to the point where you have enough income where you can pay back the full thing, you pay back, and then your your, your taxes drop right back, back down to normal. And so instead of costing $2.3 trillion, it costs about $200 billion or so to do it that way. To put it in context, right? Like the the the, the government budget is anywhere between four to six trillion dollars a year. So a two hundred billion dollar piece of legislation to completely wipe out absolute poverty in this country is a game changer. Um, taxpayers spend about a trillion dollars a year on childhood poverty alone, right? So think about it as an investor. If I can spend two hundred billion dollars to save a trillion dollars, that's an eight hundred billion dollar net savings every single year. So over a decade, you're saving $8 trillion and you're eliminating poverty at the same time. You know, th this is the thing that that probably made my ears prick up the most. Now, um, I say it every show, I'm going to say it again. I'm a Republican and I'm very conservative. No. And, and the thing is, I grew up in poverty, abject poverty. My mom has not had a job since she left the IRS um, for really more than like six months at a time. And the majority of the time from when I was five until today, I think my mom's total time in the workforce at that point has been like less than two years, right? So that that was my mom. You finna get disowned. My my dad. Putting your mom up in, this, in the streets. <laughs> my dad, he was gone until I was 10. And then when he came in, he had part-time jobs here and there. And, and then he started a taxi business. But that entire time, even with the taxi business, we're still living in low-income subsidized housing. So the reason why I even explain this is because I've always myself wanted to be able to actually do exactly what you're talking about, but I, I didn't know how can you make this happen, right? Like philosophically, I can tell you that I think that the keys to solving poverty are empowering individuals, which is why I am a Republican and why I'm a conservative. And even if someone disagrees that, you know, that's not what Republicans do, we can have that conversation. But that's not what Republicans but, do. But my point is, is that that's that's how I see it. So when I started looking at your project and looking specifically at your white paper, it really perked my ears because you've done the work to do something that I see as as groundbreaking. OK, now, in in a sense, you're, you're talking almost like a UBI, right? Universal basic income. And that's something that like is a non-starter for most Republicans and conservatives, right? Because we say, you know, that's socialism, that's redistribution, blah, 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 right? Um, but the thing that's interesting is that you have a way that you kind of explained, um, and I'd like you to kind of delve further into it, of how this works, right? Like why is it, you know, $2.3 trillion, right? But you're doing it at $200 billion. So can you kind of explain you know, how that breaks down and, and how you get to that dollar amount. Yeah, yeah. So, so to get into the, the, the nitty gritty of it, there's a couple ways to think about it. If you do a universal basic income and just give everyone money, the problem with that is that it's pretty wasteful, right? So that we all get it. We get it. Bill Gates gets it. Everybody does. And so the price tag of doing that is just much, much higher than what you ideally want. Some people will advocate for it. I personally don't think that that's the most efficient way to do it. But then on the other side, I, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to being a Republican or a Democrat. I just try to think through issues on my own. But when it comes to when it comes to thinking through, um, you know, the role of the government, I lean towards wanting the government to have less of a role in our society, right? I don't really trust the government all that much. So my my goal is how do we get them to have less of a role in our day to day lives? And so I don't want the government picking out who's poor and who's not because ultimately, especially you know, being people of color, we know that we will one way or another kind of get boxed out and, and, and put in situations where we're standing in line, we're being disrespected, we're told that we can't get certain things that we, we're supposed to qualify for. So what you ultimately want is a system where there is no application, there is no process, there's no system to gain. 
And that's what this does. So by giving it to everyone, but then combining it with this tax component, which is really simple, right? Like we, we can flex the number, but for, let's say it's a 50% tax on income that you make up until two times the poverty line. All that means just to not get too deep into the math is that you start making $5,000, you pay $2,500 to pay it back. By the time you get to $26,000, which is double the federal poverty guidelines, you pay 13,000 back, which is about what the you know grant would be for a household. And so that way, instead of being 2.3, it's 200 billion because the government already tells us what that gap is. The government tells us how much the gap is in terms of people's earned income and how much the poverty line is. And that's about $155.3 billion or so. Um, rounded up to $200 billion to give us room for error to be able to distribute and, and make the program not 100% efficient. Um, but that's as simple as it is. It's really not. It, the numbers are pretty easy to back up. You can go look at U.S. Census data, and they tell you every year what it is. You know, you know, Jamar and I, we talk all the time offline, right? And one of the things that we've always agreed on is that people that are in poverty, what people don't understand that have never lived in poverty, is that they're grinding every day, right? They are grinding to to live. And in my issue and what me and Jamar always agree with is that when you're grinding, don't count people like that down and out. And so when I was kind of watching through some of your TikTok videos, you know, you're going out there and is it that you're doing a documentary? Is that kind of what you did or or is it that you have like short kind of like video shorts that you've made where you've kind of went out and talked to people that are living in poverty and, and asked them questions about their life? I, I definitely spend a lot of time and energy just out in the street talking to people. Um, so I did about a three month tour going to some of the poorest parts of the country, you know, drove all across America and wanted to have a conversation with people to both walk them through the, the proposed legislation, but then also just get some stories and understand what people were experiencing and going through. And when most people hear poverty, they think, lazy and unemployed you know that's kind of like the the narrative that we have in this country but the vast majority of people who are living below the poverty line not only have a job but usually have two or three jobs mm -hmm. and so i wanted to tell those stories um and, and I, I just think a lot of people who didn't grow up in poverty or didn't grow up around it just truly don't get it it's not like everyone's just like hanging out chilling right we're trying hard to get out of that situation but there's so many things that are structurally designed to keep us in that position that we've got to figure out ways to invest in our communities to be able to give people a chance to have a better life. No doubt about that. And that's absolutely right. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, let me be partisan here. I think that honestly, that type of thinking of folks that are below the poverty line or in poverty came from um, your party, Reagan, with the welfare queens and people like that. And even people like Joe Manchin now that, um, um, simply think that when, the reason why he's not for the child or the income credit is because he says that folks will spend it on crack and, and, and liquor, right? And we know who that's directed and pointed at, no doubt about that. So you, I heard you say that, and I was going to ask you that, uh, a, a question about, you know, this sounds great, right? But the truth of the matter is we do live in a hyper and partisan uh, type of environment right now. So um, I know you've gone out and hopefully garnered um, community and national support for it. But now what politicians have you spoke to um, either uh, either side that are for it? Because Republicans, even if they're for it, they won't publicly say it um, because they'll think they're given something. Uh, Democrats will hear it and say, OK, I like it, but I hear you say tax. So now you want me to work and you're going to tax this money that you're giving me and then I have to pay it back. And so I, being a typical Democrat, I say, OK, well, in that money, is there a guarantee that I'll make a certain amount, you know, or is, is there a certain amount off bat that's given to say, OK, here, here's, uh, you know, here's 50,000 to start with. And, you know, you pay it back, blah, 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 how it goes. So can you kind of mundanely explain that to me? And, you know, I, I've, I've had really good conversations with folks in Congress on both the left and the right on this. And to be honest, they're getting it. And a lot of it is because they understand the dollars behind it. Our current welfare system is completely unsustainable, right? So when you think about the fact that when you take Medicaid, Medicare, you take all the, uh, you know, welfare, food stamps, all these different programs. I mean, we're spending well over $1.5 trillion a year on these programs and poverty still exists. 
and it's still a terrible situation. And so by getting rid of this mindset that the government needs to have a ton of different programs and bureaucracy to solve poverty and realizing that poverty is a money issue, and by making sure that every single American household at least has enough cash equal to the federal poverty guidelines, gets rid of that problem. And if you think about people's health, if you think about what really costs a lot of money, it's someone breaking into your car window to steal 75 cents because they're that poor. It's someone sleeping outside and getting infections from being homeless and going to the ER when it's it's late. These are where all your costs are coming from. Having to lock someone up for loitering and sleeping outside, this is where your money's going. The, The average cost right now for a person who's living on the street to a city, it's about $100,000 a year. Mm. That is extremely wasteful. And so what politicians are seeing is that what we're doing just does not make any sense. So can we find a better way? But okay, that's, but, that's, but let me say again, though, I mean, specifically, because like, you know, I used to work for an organization that we went out, we'd support, publicly supported UBI, right? And there was a set amount, you know, every family, I think, especially I think in Alaska, I think families get about $10,000 a month or a year or something like that. And you think about some of the reservations here, those tribal families receive monies. So, again, is there a set amount that one starts at, Jamar, does Jamar start out with 50000 or do I? am I given a job? Because, I mean, I hear you, bro, but I want you to uh, uh, dumb it down for some of us, right, for real, that, I mean, is there a job that I'm giving first? Is there money I'm giving? And then how do I pay that off? You know, am I making a certain amount a year, a certain amount of an hour? Yeah, so 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 let, let's let's walk through an example. Okay. Right? So first, I gotta explain what the federal poverty guidelines are. Bet. The federal poverty guidelines are what the government determines is necessary to be able to buy food, clothing, shelter, and transportation in the U.S. It's a single number for the entire country. Okay. And right now, if you're a single person household, that number is about thirteen thousand dollars a year. Okay. The average household in America is about two and a half people. That's about $20,000 a year, right? So the more people in your household, the bigger the number is. But for to keep the math and everything simple, let's just assume that you're a single person right now, right? If you're a single person and you make $0, you would get $13,000 a year. And because you don't have a job and you're not paying any taxes, then you just have $13,000 a year. So what that means is that no person will have less than $13,000 a year. Like Everybody's going to have something. And for someone living on the streets with absolutely nothing, someone with a mental health disorder where they just can't work, someone with other kind of illness where they can't work, that's life-changing. Absolutely. You can eat now on a regular basis. You can have a place to sleep. And when that person starts working, right, and starts getting themselves on their feet, let's say, you know, like a lot of poor Americans, they're making $5,000 a year because they're just trying to cobble together a few hours in part-time jobs. Under this scenario, that $5,000 is taxed at that 50% rate. So what that means is they get the $13,000 from before, and then they get $2,500 from their paycheck. So combined, they make $15,500. Compare that to what they would have now, which they have that $5,000 that pretty much doesn't get taxed, but you're taking home $15,500 instead of $5,000, and it's extremely stable. You're not risking going to absolute zero and going back on the streets again. So it's it's a big difference. And if you move further, right, and you go towards somebody who's making $26,000 a year, well, now that 50% tax equals $13,000, right? That 13 is now equal to that 13 that I was giving you in the first place. So just through that tax now, you've paid back the $13,000 because you started working and made enough money. So after that, your taxes drop right back down to normal. And so what that means is that we all get a cushion. And, you know, when you, when you are a middle-class family right now, if you lose your job or something happens where there's an emergency, you're not going to get food stamps. You're not going to get welfare. And so you don't get to participate in the safety net. In this case, you do. Every single person gets this. And the minute you lose your job, the minute something happens, you don't have to apply for anything. You don't have to stand in line and be embarrassed. You automatically have this money that hits right away. Um, and that, to me, is what a true safety net should be. It shouldn't be for any specific groups. It should be for all of us. You know, the thing that, again, Looking through, and, and for anybody that's listening or watching, please go to endpovertymaketrillions.com. There is a white paper. There's a bunch of information that breaks us down. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to talk about it, but I think as as people look more into what you are trying to, you know, the, propose the seed money, it's it's brilliant, man. And the reason the reason why I say that is because when you look at the data, right, 
people have, have often said like, okay, so, you know, I agree 100%. This is, this is a knock on my own party is that people that are in Republican conservative circles don't you typically come from poverty. And that's statistically true. Um, and so the thing that I try and do whenever I talk to someone is, you know, help, I guess, enlighten them on the plight of someone that lives in poverty, that it isn't the lazy welfare queen. Do those people exist that will take, you know, abuse the system? Yes. But here's the thing that I always say, and I say this to anybody, I never fault the individual. I always fault the system. And the reason why that's important is because I, I asked a simple question. If given the situation and you knew that there was a path of least resistance or more resistance, knowing that the outcome would be the same, which path would you take? And everybody is going to say, of course, the easier one. If I knew that I could run five miles every day and I had like a, a, a crystal ball or I could run zero miles a day and five years from now, I would weigh the same amount and my life expectancy would be the same. Which one would I do? 99% of people are going to say I'm going to run zero miles. If I know that the outcome is going to be this, then why would I take the path of more resistance if I know that the outcome isn't going to change? So to me, when I look through what it is that you've put together, it's brilliant because, you know, when you talk about the seed money, you talk about the impact that it actually would have, right? It's not that you're just giving this base because people are going to sit there because the statistics show that that's not what happens, right? It, the statistics show that when you give people a certain level of stability, they become more productive more times than not. And so I, I just wanted to know if you can kind of talk about how you've kind of pulled together this information to really say, well, here's why the seed really will work. Because the naysayers, I think, on top will say, yeah, so you're just going to give people money and then they pay it back. What if they never pay it back? But I think based off of the information I've read that you've put together – the data doesn't support that. The data supports that they actually will pay it back and they will be able to finally lift themselves up to a point that is sustainable. Well, and it's, a, it's a good thing about doing it at the federal level, right, is that there's no debate about whether or not they pay it back. The minute you start working, you're going to pay taxes on your on your income, right? So we have a really good tax collection system. Um, and, and then the question of will they start working, the thing I always kind of throw at people is like, okay, 90% of Americans already make more than the poverty line. And we all work pretty damn hard, right? And so, like, this idea that somebody's going to make $13,000 a year and just say, I'm done, I'm just going to live at the poverty line and be happy, like, that's not, that's not how people function. Like, no one's excited about making $1,100 a month. Like, you can't, you can't have a great life in this country with that small amount of money. And so all we're talking about here is just making sure that no one has zero. And if you tell me that you think a person who has zero dollars is going to be more productive to society than a person that has $1,100 a month in their pocket, a place to sleep, some food, uh, ability to take a shower and put on some clean clothes every day. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's just like we, we have gotten so extreme in our rhetoric. And unfortunately, I don't think that you can, you can ignore the fact that our disgust and hatred towards poor people in this country is fundamentally based on racism, right? It's based on this idea that we believe that people who are poor are black. Whereas in reality, more than half of the people who are poor in this country are yeah, poor white Americans. Yeah, right. But yeah. we tell this narrative that it's a black people thing or that it's a democratic thing. And it's not. It's actually slightly more Republicans live in poor districts than, than, than people in the Republican Party. I'm sorry, in the Democratic Party. And I say that just to say that it's pretty even, yeah. right? Like poverty yeah. affects all of us. And we have to we have to kind of get past these racist narratives to understand that lifting up people on the bottom is categorically a good thing. The same way you would never tell your children that I'm not going to feed you if you don't do A, B, and C, that kind of applies to everybody. It just doesn't make sense to have people starving and living outside. No doubt about it. And, and, and as you both are saying, you know, someone starts making a livable wage, you you see production in them go up. You know, you'll see crime go down because um, I'm less likely to rob your home because I'm out making money. I, you know, I'm, oh, I'm paying my own rent, right? You know, most homeowners don't break into other homeowners' uh, uh, places, yeah, right? Yeah, hey, most of the time yeah. if I, uh, you know, barring barring mental, um, mental health issues, you're right. Uh, I'm not worried about my neighbor breaking into my house if if they have a, a stable place it's it's people that again when when you're faced with certain aspects and and this is what it comes down to me always again the system is something that that we 
the people can control, right? Yeah. We have to push for it. We have to advocate for it. That's but we, we, the people, control the system. So I, you know, that's the biggest pushback that I have whenever I talk to people that are like, oh, you know, like this person, you know, sucks or whatever, right? Like they're just lazy. And, I, and I'll, I'll agree. There are some people that are lazy, 100%. But a lot of people, again, because the way that the system is designed, they are they are using it in a way that is helping them to be able to survive. And so, again, my, my, big, my big aspect about what it is that you've put together here, Daryl, is that you have a way that makes sense from a fiscal perspective, right? Um, this isn't just about, you know, another elaborate redistribution scheme. Um, and and that's that's actually what I appreciate about the information that you've put together. And, and like I said, I, I would encourage anybody that is, um, you know, listening to this podcast, especially if you're on the right, take a look at this information. I think this is something that, um, you know, again, it sounds like you're very open to, to having these conversations and these discussions, but... I would say, you know, that one of the things that people have to do is look at the information and then you got to advocate for it. Right. You got you got to talk to your your U.S. congressmen, your senators and and really advocate for it. That's my that was my question. Um, what's the likelihood of something like this happening? Because, again, right now, was what happens in, in um, uh, next year? If Republicans control both houses, um, something like this would never pass. First of all, let's keep it real, too. It's the fact that a black man has come up with the idea that that doesn't fly either. You'd have to be Tom or somebody. Um, that's just, I mean, honestly, they feel well, that black folks I mean, want to, to, be, to be to be honest, to be honest, like I, I, I didn't know what to expect coming into this. Right. I didn't know what would happen talking to different kind of politicians on both sides of the aisle. But the Republicans are getting this fast. Like they're getting it quick, they're understanding it, and they're liking it, and they're saying this fits Republican ideals. Right, that's, and that's what that's, that's okay. what's happening to me. And I, I, mean, I, I, know, I know that I'm I, black, but it's, I, I'm telling you from a fiscal standpoint, we 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 live in a society where we understand that there is poverty, and we we do still have a system that we have in place. Not every Republican now, I hear can that. get rid of all. Darryl, I hear that, I, and I, and again, lip service is one thing. And and they'll say anything. It, it, a mouth, a mouth will say any damn thing, right? Anything comes out of a mouth. But what's the likelihood when they said to you, "Well, I get this, and this is how a Republican," but did they say to you, "Listen, which legislation? I'll champion it. I'll sponsor it." Who said that to you to let you know that we could that made you feel that this is something that could be put into action? Because it is a great idea, but. Talk is talk, and it's cheap. I right. know if Democrats probably would get behind it, but what Republicans? What what did they? What was said to you that would make you think that yeah. uh, they're going to really get behind it? Because they had yeah, to champion so, it. Yeah. So with 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 all these things, it's one thing to get something proposed, right? Like you can get it sponsored and get it proposed, and it's uh, similar to like a Green New Deal where it's no one expects it to get passed, and it's just more of a hey, we did this. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not engaging for things like that, right? You know, I, I walked away from a lucrative career so I could focus on something that I think can be completely game-changing for our communities. And so that's why I have the approach that I have in terms of having conversations with people on both sides of the aisle, really to get them up to speed and give them a chance to poke and pry and ask questions. And the thing that's fascinating about this is that usually when you're trying to get legislation passed that will fail, it's because there's someone on the other side fighting against it. Right. right. There's someone right. with a lot of money right. who's like, I don't like this. I don't want this. And I'm going to spend a lot of money to make sure it doesn't happen. You know, climate change, you've got, like, you know, the fossil fuel industry. Um, there really there isn't another side to this. There isn't someone with a lot of money who's saying, uh-uh, I need people to stay poor. It's just a holdover for how you sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm just playing. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you say that, Joe, because, you know, th that is that is a thing that I I've tried to stress this. I think that. The, the reason why fundamentally Republicans and Democrats disagree, ideological, but we, we do revert to a form of tribalism, right? I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat, you must be evil, right? But this is the thing about what it is that you're talking about is that you're coming from a, hey, we're agreeing. We don't like that people are poor because as much as Democrats might want to say that, that Republicans do, they don't, and you just explained why. There's a lot of poor Republicans, and there's that's just that's just a reality, right? Um, but the question has always been, well, how how can we sustainably solve this and that that makes sure that fiscally it makes sense and things like that? Um, but I agree with you that I don't want there to be poor people. I I haven't met any Republican yet to this day 
that has told me, yeah, I love it when people are poor. <laughs> They've just said. So I, so, so I, I yeah. definitely have, right? And, sure. I, and that brings me to like the, end, the answer to your question you initially posed, like what's going to stop this? It actually isn't Congress, right? Like when you talk to people All in right. Congress, their, their view is more like, this makes sense to me but you've got to make it popular, right? They're, they're not in the business of pushing ideas that they think the public won't necessarily support. And so when you go out and start having conversations with everyday people, that's when you run into the real problem because we have this narrative in this country that people who are poor deserve to be poor. Yeah. And that's where it's kind of dealing with that underlying like racial component here is that when I talk to everyday citizens is the only time that I started to get this pushback and this, this frustration. And a lot of that is this like crab in a bucket mentality of I'm doing well only if someone's doing worse than me. And so we don't, <laughs> so want, to see it. We don't want to see it as like, let's lift everybody up. Yeah. Cause some people think of that as, well, if everybody on the bottom gets lifted up, that means they're closer to me. So I'm not crushing it relatively speaking. And that's where we have to get people out of that mindset and think, think like a business owner. Right. Like if 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 everybody on the bottom has a little bit of extra money, what are they going to do with that money? They're going to spend, go spend it. They're going to spend it. They're going to spend, spend it. it. Yeah. And if you own a shop, if you own a store, you're going to make more money. This is good. These dollars are going to circulate because right now we take that money and we give it to major corporations in terms of tax benefits and breaks. If we take that money instead and start giving it to people and give it to the poorest people, especially they're going to spend it immediately because their, e their needs are immediate. And, and that's what I have to walk people through and, and, and why kind of having these conversations is so important. Because really, it's not going to be Congress that stops this from happening. It's going to be us that stops this from happening if we don't organize around it and educate one another. No, absolutely. I think you're right. But I do think that Congress will play a part in stopping it too. Some evil, greedy bastard will, again, think that this is um, an idea that gives people something instead of uh, it's, it's a work incentive and incentives to... Uh, uh, not even incentives, that uh, idea that lifts folks out of poverty. That's too, always a tagline for certain um, politicians. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw this one thing out there, and and, and I'm not gonna take away from anything that that your experiences that you've had, Daryl. But I've been involved in Republican politics since 2006. I've been from the grassroots level, from you know what they call the basic political organizing unit, to the national level, the Republican National Committee. And what I can tell you National is cult. that the perspective, the framing, it's not that do you think there should be poor people. It's that the perspective is people are responsible for what their outcomes are. And so if, if I were to say to someone, do you want there to be poor people? They'll say no, but there's people that are poor. And the reason that they're poor is because they're not doing enough. And so this is this is 100% a perspective change. I, I agree with you. But the reason why people might have that perspective that it's, the perception is that uh, I don't want to just give poor people money. It's because it's I don't want to just throw away money or give someone something that isn't going to do something. But if 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 you could, again, have the conversation and say, all right, this here's here's what it is that that we're doing. It's not that you're just giving someone something for nothing. It's that you're understanding the reality that exists and that this will be able to have these outcomes. And that's that to me, that is what caught my ear and my eye as a Republican and a conservative, and that I was very interested to have you on. And, and ultimately, I think that, that the hardest part of trying to see someone else's perspective is taking them at their word and taking them at their best. Which if, is if, if I if I step into a conversation and I assume the worst about someone, or I assume, you know, the the thing that that I believe makes that person an other to me, then it's going to be hard to have a meaningful conversation. But if I step into the conversation saying, we have similarly aligned beliefs that we you know don't want people to die on the street, but there's a difference of well, I don't want people to die on the street, but if this person dies on the street. It's not my fault. It's not my issue and, you know, whatever. But that's not saying that you want them to die. saying, well, that's not my issue. So I just wanted to kind of throw out that last piece. But, Daryl, can you tell us? Um, I, I know that, again, if you visit endpovertymaketrillions.com, you'll be able to get connected. But um, what are some ways that people can kind of get that message out, right? Either it's, it's watching your video, sharing it on their socials, just kind of give people some places they can go to connect with you or, or to connect with the message or, or the information. 
Yeah, thank you. So so right now, the number one thing we want people to do is either subscribe to our TikTok channel, uh, In Poverty Make Trillions, or YouTube, In Poverty Make Trillions. And in either of those situations, just look at the content and share it with your friends and family. We have to start having this conversation about economics and thinking through how does this work? How do we come up with solutions that make sense for us? And as we get a more educated public, once we bring this to the mainstream and we actually come out and propose it, people are ready for it and they can engage with it. I'm always open and available to have conversations. If, if large groups want to have a conversation, whether it's your church, whether it's your school, um, I'm happy to walk people through the details of the policy. Um, so Daryl at InPropertyMakeTrillions.com is my email. Uh, but we just have to have, we have to have the conversation. You know, we have to shift the narrative and finally start talking about the, the, the truth, which is it's money that is the problem right now. And we've got to make sure we get money in everyone's hands. No, no doubt about that. One final thing. I mean, honestly, I mean, I know this is your idea, so I don't mean to make this sound too dumb. But I mean, is this something that could honestly work? And 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 what's the have you seen the number of what it could do to cut into poverty for this country? Yeah, for sure. I, I think realistically, this is something that we can pass. Uh, you know, I, I'm always setting super ambitious dates, but I really think this is within a two year thing that we can get this thing passed. Uh, and when it comes to what it will do to the poverty rate, the poverty rate will disappear. Because by definition, every single household will have money at least at the poverty line. And then we'll have a discussion every year about what that poverty line should be. But what we'd be doing is we'd be making it fundamentally illegal for someone to be poor. So we'd be the first country in history to abolish poverty. Mm. I love it. I love it, Daryl. Man, absolutely. Let's let's keep you coming back, man, uh, especially as it grows, you know, and to explain it to our community better, you know. And so I'm glad you said that. So I will keep it in mind that when we start having these things, because this is not UBI. This is better. This is something that will work. And then um, so so as you've said that these are folks, the legislators um, are on board with. So I think that that's the great thing. And then to think that we can enact it in two years, the next two years. Um, that's that's fantastic, bro. You know, that'd be a good coming in when President Biden gets reelected to have something like this come in. <laughs> that would be great to usher this in when we reelect President um, Biden and, yeah, all, and VP. All, all the stats would be padded like, oh, look at Biden yeah, ended well, poverty no, in we, America. We'd have, this economy is going <laughs> roaring back. So I, I and, and then we'd have you to think, you know, and I, I, I can't wait to see your smiling face standing next to the president like I had that brother on my show. So I, 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 I'm excited for it, man. Seriously. Well, thank you guys, man. I appreciate you giving me time to chat with you and share this information and and, and appreciate more importantly what you guys are doing with this podcast. It's beautiful to see. Appreciate you, bro. Please come back. Please come back. Thank you. You Thanks a lot, Have a good evening, man. Later, man. Take care. Yeah, man. You know, it it, it was, um, it's, again, this entire concept. The, the things that he said that I like the most, this this really is what he, what he wants, right? And what he's talking about is grassroots, right? This is about getting people to have the conversations and that if there's enough people that are having these conversations, right, then they will talk to their legislators versus if you just try and go and, and just sell the legislator without getting the people to support it, then what's going to happen is the moment that you start hearing that what it sounds like is UBI – you lock that down, bro. Like your brain goes, nope. And Republican and, brains. And and again, yes, Republican. But you need them to pass stuff. You do again, but they again. Uh, here's where we do fundamentally disagree. I do believe they like um, poverty. Absolutely, because they like to keep certain people in poverty. Absolutely, certain folks that don't look like them, they like to keep them in poverty because of the legisl- of the of the legislations that's passed or that they. Um, will fundamentally come out against, you know, listen, we, tonight, again, you know how quick an hour goes. We didn't have time to talk about how um, your party has censored censored uh, two Republicans for political discourse is what they called why they sanctioned, uh, censored, excuse me, these two Republicans. And we um, didn't get to talk about how your president is giving crack pipes out to black people. Well, he isn't, but I mean, uh, there's a, there's a, yeah, we don't have time. There's a program that, um, well, money's, uh, that he's not giving. That, and make sure to hit the TikTok black rep, black Dem show. And you can watch Jamar in the car. Yeah. You can watch my video as well. You can share it. We want to try and get to 10,000 followers. But yeah, man, um, it we got a lot of of uh, speakers lined up. You know, speakers guests lined up in the coming weeks. We're gonna have next week's guest. 
Next week we're gonna have some some representatives from uh, law enforcement associations. We're so you gotta watch that. Make sure you tell people. you and every black person you know that next week's show. If you don't ever watch the show this year, next week is you want to watch it every Wednesday at eight oh five. But next week, so seriously, is a show that you want to watch because we dedicated tonight's show to Amir Locke and his family. Um, next week we're gonna absolutely um, um, dive deeper into that conversation with what's his name again. Uh, Brian Peters from um, Minnesota Peace Officers Association. So having this guy come on is going to be great because we want to find out it, where he stands, if he can talk about it, blah, blah, blah. And then we have uh, uh, someone that's running against uh, a candidate, um, Amani, that's running against Betty McCullough coming on the next week. So we've got a nice, nice guest lined up. And so all you got to do yep. is... Kendall Qualls is going to be on in the future. We got we got a lot of, lot and of I can't, I, You know I can't wait to have him on. Yep. Matt Burke is you know coming up. You know I can, Kendall Qualls, I can't wait yeah. to have him on. Yeah, we got, we got some great guests lined up and, and more. But again, if you watch this podcast and you're like, you know what? I want to sponsor. I want to sponsor an episode, and I, I want to be a sponsor. You got a business? Again, send me an email: blackrepblackdam at gmail dot com. Or find we'll him on his Facebook deal. page. Find my Facebook. Send me a message. Uh, you know, wherever it is that you can connect with me, and we'd love to have you as a sponsor on the show. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Keep. Uh, you know, we want to thank you guys always for the support and uh, thank tonight's guest. You know, and you know wherever you at, wherever you find your podcast, make sure you check it out so you can find the understand the concept of um, in poverty make trillion. Because it is something that's hard to grip, but he broke it down mundanely for us tonight, and we appreciate that. Daryl Finkins Jr., I'm Jamar Nelson. I'm A.K. Kamara. Who are you? A.K. Kamara. Oh, I'm Jamar. I'll see you next week. Peace.